morning and welcome along to another edition of the Wise Men's Say podcast. This evening we're broadcasting, it is the 12th of December. It's Poll Day in the United Kingdom. so That's not a day for Polish people. It's no, it's not. Elections. It's Elections uh, Day here in the United Kingdom. And if you are listening to this this evening, the votes aren't in yet. Or maybe they are. And did Sunderland get them in first? Who knows? Predictions? Yeah. Uh, I think we will get them in yeah me first uh, and if you are listening to this on friday morning this is either a really happy time for you right now or a very miserable time for you right now politically and in in both cases just sit back and enjoy the next uh, few <laughs> minutes of some football relief as we discuss the ins and outs of Sunderland football club my name is frankie i'm with craig and mickey in the studio tonight hello guys Hello. Good evening. Um, good evening. Uh, I suppose we should start with the big news out of Sunderland today. And it is the, the news that Aidan McGeady looks like he will be leaving the club in January. Uh, this follows on from comments today in the press conference from Phil Parkinson, who, who said that it looks like he's played his last game. And he thinks it's best for club and player that they start making plans without Aidan McGeady. With that in mind, Craig, would you mind putting some thoughts into the microphone about today's <clears throat> news? Well, just listening to Phil Parkinson talk about it, it struck me that, you know, first thing I thought was, imagine this was Jack Ross, right? Imagine we didn't peddle him, he was still manager, we'd gone on this run of results, and then it culminated in this particular player being removed from the squad and told he's going to leave and... I think, you know, there'd be hell on. And we've reached such a low ebb now. Expectations have been dragged so far down that this is almost just like, oh, well, we'll just live with it and we'll move on. And you you listen to Parkinson talking about it and obviously he's not revealing any ins and outs and any details, which is actually pretty good of him. I think that's the right thing to do. However, he has surrounded the statement with more comments that sound like he's a man who is destined to see the club in a relegation battle it's all about the squad pulling together on the training pitch it's all about pushing in the right direction these aren't the type of things we've become used to hearing since Sunderland got relegated into league one because we are the biggest club in the division and the expectation as has been reiterated on monday has been reiterated by the ownership has been reiterated by everyone bar seemingly phil parkinson was to get promoted out of this division uh, we needn't go over like whether that's going to happen or not again today, but without Aidan McGeady in an inform Aidan McGeady, who, let's not forget, people did call a League One cheat code not, not that long ago, we'd look even further away from being able to get promoted this season. Mickey, is this uh, the strongest bit of good management we've seen from Phil Parkinson making this decision? We don't know what the, the real reasons are. We can only speculate. Yeah. Is this good management from Parkinson removing Ed McGeady from the squad? I think we could infer with McGeady, he basically, his attitude is based on whether he likes a manager or not. I mean, because last season we saw under Jack Ross, he was in some games he was tracking back in a manner I hadn't seen him track back. And Jack Ross came out and said quite often people criticise McGeady's attitude, but he actually said McGeady was someone who would talk to him about tactics and he really cared about his own performance and things like that. However, a year prior to that, you saw when Chris Coleman was a manager, he was very vocal against him on Netflix and saying things that he's never been part of, like, um, what was it, like a certain formation like he was playing? He, he seemed to think he hadn't played in a 4-3-3 as a, like, one of the three kind of yeah. forwards, which I, I've got to admit, I 
think he probably had. Yeah, but... exactly. So as I say, it's probably it's probably a fair inference to make that McGeady can be a little bit problematic sometimes. But I think people they're kind of reading a little bit too much into it because obviously this is not what Phil Parkinson said. But rumours brought the other day that he um got sent home from training, there was rumours that um, McGeady is kind of part of his clique who were bullying people within the camp. Obviously, that's just speculation. But for me, if that was happening, then surely that's dismissal. He would be sacked for that. He wouldn't just be put on the transfer list. But he's an asset, isn't he? He's somebody who they probably look at. Bear in mind, we did extend his contract in the summer, another indicator of how much of a key man he was considered, especially when you look at the players we let go. Him, retaining him was seen as like a really big thing because I think a lot of people thought he might go with some of the others. So, I can't even remember what the question was, mate. So, but that's it, though. So, for me, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, you, you made that point as an asset. So, for me, as sorry, I said, that was it. If these rumours are true, then it w- would be strong management to dismiss him from the club. Right, got you. That's the point I'm kind of making. But obviously, that's just speculation, and we can only talk on kind of what we know to be the facts in the public domain. Um, and as I say, I agree with you, Craig. It doesn't sit comfortably with me, McGeady, being transfer listed because I know his form has been really poor for the majority of the season, including under Jack Ross. But he still is capable of being one of our better players on his day. And, and as I say, it's, and, and my argument straight away is, um, like, who are you going to get who's better than Aidan McGeady? Well, we've not replaced a single player with a better player. No, the only, well, actually, I tell, I tell a lie. I would say John McLaughlin's better than any of the goalkeepers we had in the Championship. And then I would probably say Jordan Willis is as good as, if not better, than the centre-backs that we had in the championship season. Other than that, the best players we've had since we got relegated have all already been involved in the squad, pretty much. Agree. Apart, all right, Maguire now and then, O'Nine's done some good stuff. But the squad has gotten worse and worse and worse, and it's continuing to get worse. McGeady, frozen out, right, OK. Then you've got Maguire, who's having a really, really poor sort of run of form. And I've said it a couple of times on this podcast, and I'll say it again, I don't think either of them have been playing for the manager anyway. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Maguire start many, if any, games. Why he wouldn't start Watmore, for instance, or bring him on against Gillingham, I don't know. But but another one who we we forget, and I've never been a huge fan, is Dylan McGeeck. Mm-hmm. He's another one who there's talk of him going in January. What's happened to him? Yeah, is he is he really worse than George Dobson? No. I think at the minute the whole club to me just feels like a non-active volcano. It's just absolutely if we could just go off at any time if that makes sense. And I just think now it's just a powder keg of like negativity. And I just think that one it might just take one result because I think I can't remember who was in the group chat was saying that right now the home fans haven't really turned because we have only lost two games since we came down to League One at home in the league. But if we start losing games at home on a regular basis, things will start to turn. And I think if Simon Grayson, who don't forget if he wins on Saturday, he managed a club and that'll be his first win at the stage of my life if he wins on Saturday. I think it's just a perfect like kind of like as I say, powder cake for things to really kind of like go up at the weekend and it's just there's so much negativity which is just dragging everyone down. And the thing is negativity perpetuates further negativity, it begets negativity. But it's not up to the fans to generate positivity. No. We've tried that. I think we talked about this after the Burton game. That team performance didn't deserve support particularly vociferous support it was awful and yet at around the 60 minute mark we put a bit of pressure on for about 10 minutes and the crowd really lifted and got behind them and then they conceded and collapsed yeah now yeah of course the fans reacted to that second goal negatively because it was an absolute horror show but these players and we've talked about this not me specifically i think maybe steven has mentioned this i don't want to credit myself but like when we're signing these players it's not just ability it's character you're going to be playing in front of an 
big expectation and in front of a crowd that will expect you to get promoted. And the whole vibe around the club since we came down has been promotion, promotion, promotion. Where's that gone? Mm. I know. Where's the voices from in the club? It's just completely evaporated. I mean, I was down um, Gillingham last Saturday, and again, you touched on it there, Craig, the support that they received last Saturday, I don't know how it came across on streams or whatever, but they did not deserve that level of support. Yeah, I'm not saying it was like a typical away game where they were singing and like bouncing around for 90 minutes, but there were still large periods in that game where people were kind of like really like chanting and getting behind them. Like we won a couple of corners and people were like kind of like really roaring with encouragement. And when we scored, it was like pretty standard fare when you're in the away game, like people jumping all over and stuff like that. And then as I say, but the only thing that gets picked up upon is when at full time, when we concede a late goal to Gillingham after we're essentially just like played hoofball and part of the bus for 90 minutes, then people gathered in the corner and gave them a bit of stick. But like you say, it's not our job to just stand there and like clap our hands and say this, everything's fine. Because it really isn't. And, uh, and the other thing is, this toxic atmosphere thing, this home toxic atmosphere, it's, you, it's hard for the players to play there and all that crap. Well, what, where was that last season? Because we, we lost one home game against Coventry. And if it's so bad that they can't play at home, why is it that we haven't scored a goal away from home since Bolton? So if it's the home support that's the problem, or the support, why isn't it that why aren't we going away and winning every week? It's not the support. It has nothing to do with the support. It's because the manager's not good enough and the players are looking increasingly like they're not good enough. And I thought at the beginning of the season we had enough to get promoted. It's just so depressing. I mean, at the minute, we're we're in real danger of kind of losing even the hardcore support. So on Saturday, like the, the bus I got down to Gillingham left at half past five in the morning. And the, so, as I say, these are real diehards. And on the way back, the lad who runs the branch, he was saying, I don't even know if it's worth me while continuing to do this because I'm getting no enjoyment out of it. I'm just travelling the length of breath for country to see us like, kind of play these really negative, horrible games. There were lads who went down there who like lasted till half time before nicking off to the pub and just kind of enjoying the Saturday afternoon. And then those people I was speaking to in the ground who I've known go to away games for many years and they were saying they were sat in the pub before the game, they saw the team and they were half tempted just to go over bookies, put some bets on, have some pints and just have a nice afternoon without having it spoiled by the football. But the, the, you know, this also feeds into something wider issue. So, you know, Newcastle sacked, oh sorry, they didn't sack Rafa Benitez, he left the club because he went and got a massive FAF contract in China. Um, and the whole narrative has been things around like MPs debates over this, you know, <laughs> speaking of polls, mm. um, and you know, you know how terrible ownerships Corbyn's mentioned bad football owners, and he specifically referenced Mike Ashley. I know there are probably other reasons for that because of his, you know, business ventures and things. But <laughs> who, who in the local media even is talking about the situation at our club? What? Like, we're, we're, yeah, we're a fan podcast, so we're talking to other fans. Who's bringing this to people's attention that the state this football club's in? Well, the, the, the local newspapers would argue back with that, Craig. They'd say they'd, they'd, they'd cover every single story. They'll have covered the McGeady story today. Of course. But I what mean, you, what I mean the saying? wide, like a wider issue. So about, national press. No, but even just like, so Keith Andrews comes out and starts going on about Phil Parkinson and, and needing to give him time and stuff. And you're thinking... Are you kidding? Like, you never played for a club this size. Mm. Don't you dare patronise the supporters of this football club mm. with your crap about giving Phil Parkinson time. What has he done to, to earn time? What's he done to earn a chance at this football club? I probably sound like a bit, like, overzealous, but I'm... I mean, you just the more you think about it, it's an absolute disgrace, you, this position this football club's in. You can only call what you see, and what my biggest frustration is, 
is that the rationale behind appointing Phil Parkinson, and we've been over this before, but um, I wrote something last week for the site and I looked into it a little bit. And his starts at nearly every club he's been to, besides Colchester, has been absolutely horrendous. So you look, and I think it was um, Bradford. I think he won two out of it, two out of his first eleven games, or maybe he's even one out of his first eleven games. Bolton, even though he did really well there, I think he won like four out of his first eleven or something like that. Um, oh God, where else has he been? Um, Charlton was he? Char- Charlton, that was the one. So Charlton, he only won one out of his first eleven games. And this is the thing. So, but actually, the, where I saw these stats initially was a piece actually saying no, give Phil Parkinson time because he has these slow starts and turns them okay, around. Fair enough. But the reason why I think that's a, a ludicrous line of argument, really, is because what we needed wasn't long term or stability no, or anything. Exactly. What we needed was an injection. We need the shot in the arm. So why are you appointing the manager? And all it takes is a two minute Wikipedia search to show <laughs> you that he is that he is a man who loses the majority of his first few games. So what is the rationale behind appointing someone like that? Well, again, it's it's we need to get promoted. We're going to get promoted. The aim is promotion. The aim is 100 points. The aim is this, that and the other. You've got a manager who's doing not quite enough to really give you the confidence that we're going to achieve those uh, goals. Let's not rewrite. Jack was frustrating the crowd as a majority. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we had talked about whether he should go. I was probably leaning towards that he should probably be, be sacked. I think but that both- was with the caveat that around the time that he left... We were talking about investment. Investment led to names that there's absolutely no way we would have a chance of getting them in the current state of affairs. But had we been taken over, as we all thought looked like was going to happen for multiple reasons, we would have been talking about managers way, way above the likes of Phil Parkinson. And Gareth brought this up, and he's right. Even when we were talking about the next sort of tier of managers, Phil Parkinson's name didn't come in anyone's consciousness partly because he's not going to come in like you say and give you that injection he's just not not that type of guy well the owners would say that they had their reasons and they had references for appointing Phil Parkinson uh, as manager on Monday's pod Gareth alluded to the fact that he tried to make contact with the owner to try and get some comments on the general state of things I do understand that there's a bit of a discourse going on so it's not uh, anything that uh, has, you know, has happened. There's no kind of like podcast coming up with with Stuart, but it, there's certainly a conversation. There's dialogue, yeah. There's, there's dialogue. Yes. Where there might be development uh, in the next week or so. So we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out with with Gareth and and Stephen behind uh, Wise Men Say podcast. Um, but the the, man, the owners did make that decision, and we are, we are in a situation where Phil Parkinson is the the manager of the team, and we got Blackpool coming to the Stadium of Light on Saturday, who are doing quite well, it's fair to say, with a former Sunderland manager as well. Uh, they've got players like Nandjale, who's got 13 goals. You know, I mean, you looked at him last season when he came to the Stadium of Light and thought, he's a player, isn't he? And he's proven to be so this season. They're fourth in, in, in the table at the moment. Um, they're currently on 32 points, scored 29 goals. What's going to happen on on, on Saturday? I, you know, this is our fortress. As you said before, Mickey, we've only lost a couple of games at home in that long period of time. Surely we've still got to be going in with the mentality of this is going to be a Sunderland victory, even though we're 11th and they're 4th. Ideologically, yes. But as I say, there's that much negativity, whether it's justified or not, around the club. There's no way that, as a supporter, you're going into the game on Saturday looking forward to it. No, 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 no way on God's earth. 
the weather the weather's potentially going to be minging. Is it? You're gonna. Is the weather going to be minging? That just adds. Is it, it one of those it? games I'm going to have to wear my long johns? I was going to say, wait a minute. Is this going to make the half time activity even more calamitous? Well, well slippy well, pitch. Well, it never helps. It's just going to be one of them days. Like sat the morning, you're potentially hung over. You look out the window, you see like kind of. Like, it's, it's, it's definitely hung over uh, for you then. Mickey's got Friday night plans. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like kind of a like, dark, depressing, dreary kind of like picture outside, and then you've got to drag yourself to the match to watch like Simon Grace and body you at football. But, <laughs> but you know, with some supporters, it's our club. We this is part of being a football fan, isn't it? Supporting through thick and thin. Uh, it's only been thin, hasn't it? It's getting thinner and thinner. Exactly. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'll be there and I'll, I'll give them all support in the world, but you, you, there's not going to be any natural positivity going into the game. And we've got to start this game really quickly. If we select a team which is anywhere near as negative in its approach as Gillingham, then people are going to be against them before the kickoff. And there was football talk in the press conference this afternoon. We heard that uh, it's likely Jordan Willis is going to miss out due to injury. But um, there might be an appearance from Lyndon Gooch, which mm. is a positive considering McGeady. Penalty taker, Gooch, penalty taker. If if those two aren't take the penalty, who's going to take the penalties? Well, I suppose if Ledbet as playing, he would be the natural choice, wouldn't Ledbet. he? But I mean, I mean that's not my main problem. Who's going to take penalties? But the fact that Gooch is back in contention is a good thing. That game against Tranmere, he was instrumental in that game, wasn't he? Gooch has uh, probably been our best player this season in terms of consistency of performance. Does that give the, uh, Phil Parkinson another option? Then you know we've got he, he, you know he's been trying to get Wyke. Back to fitness. We saw Wyke at the weekend. You can't deny that he had an impact on the game. He came on, scored a goal. It was, yes, it was disallowed, but he did have an impact on the game. It's really hard to say how he's going to set it up. So, if he's got no Willis, maybe he goes Oz Turk and Flanagan centre back because obviously took Lynch out of it. And you cannot start with five defenders at home. He just can't do that. If he does, it's a very attacking Blackpool side, though. Yeah, but like you've just said, we're at home. It's meant to be our fortress, all that kind of stuff. You cannot, if he starts with five out-and-out defenders like that again, I mean, exactly. I dread to think what the atmosphere will be like. Particularly, I mean, that was the thing that frustrated me even most about that team last week. Not only that we went five at the back, but the fact you've got Denver Hume on the bench, who was ideal for a wing-back role, but we weren't playing with wing-backs. We were playing with three centre-halves and two full-backs, and Lawrence Debock was one of them. I mean, let's be honest, as deep as Grant Ledbetter plays, I was calling it six defenders, to be honest. Ledbetter doesn't really get forward no. much the manager suggested as well they were unlucky to uh, concede late on in, in the game as well not get anything out that's the side so with that in mind do you think he'll be happy with the performances he saw from individuals on Saturday and start a similar side with Debock well if he, he is he's not so, that. if he is he's deluded beyond belief <laughs> no but like but this is like Gareth made the point you can't pull the wool over our eyes I was there last Saturday and what I saw in the first half, was Gillingham have a, a shot in the first half, which, in my opinion, was over the line. Yeah, that looked right a goal. Behind it. it looked that a goal. goal. Mikel Mandron missed an absolute sitter. Yeah, he hit the bar, didn't he? He, he hit the bar, and it's appalling defending <clears throat> for, the, for, for the goal you got three that centre, You've got three centre-backs on the pitch, and they can't, they can't deal with exactly. it. Exactly. So, did you see McLaughlin staying in goal as well? That was uh, maybe a decision which no one saw. I, I thought McLaughlin was fine. Well, personally, personally I would Saturday. keep him in. But changing your goalkeeper, because he's basically hung his hat on Burge as his number one, for whatever reason, he's, that's who he's gone with. You start changing your goalkeeper like that, that smacks to me as somebody it's, who's, it's very who's much, grasping at straws. It's Simon Grayson was stealing right there. For, totally for, agree. For that Bolton game. Totally Let's be fair, though. McLaughlin and uh, Burge are a lot better goalkeepers than those two. Yeah, they are, but the principle remains. But if, you, if you're not certain who your number one goalkeeper well, is, it just there's uncertainty throughout the team. I mean, yeah. I, I personally wouldn't have taken McLaughlin out, and I wonder... I still wonder, we've kind of talked about this before, he hasn't had that contract offer. 
and or you know he said he hadn't i'm just quoting what he said and nobody said anything counter to that i don't think he's been settled this season i mean yeah he's probably his natural level at best is probably bottom half of the championship i'd say that's probably higher than Virgil probably playing his career there's not a lot between them maybe i think mclaughlin's probably a little bit more composed when it comes to his distribution i think he claims the ball better but why did he? What was the rationale again? What's the thinking behind that change? What had Burge done that made him go? I must change my goalkeeper for this particular game when I'm going to protect my goalkeeper you know with six is? defensive players. For one rationale I can say is Gillingham put a lot of balls into the box. For one thing that Lee Burge, I would argue, yes. is his weakest point is command his penalty area. So I can see your Fair rationale, enough, so I can see a rationale behind that okay. to a certain extent. But like you say, but I agree with you. McLaughlin for me is an objectively better goalkeeper. Well, he should than have been Burge, playing anyway. So, so. He, sh- he should be playing anyway. So right, even if we don't rake him over the coals for that, that leaves you with six defensive players away at Gillingham who we'd recently struggled to have any shots on target against. <clears throat> and then your, your four attacking players are Will Gregg, Mark McNulty, who were, well, I mean, there was zero signs of a partnership between them, but let's be honest, where was the service? And then you've got O'Neill, who just plays wherever he's told to, everywhere, and Dobson, who's absolutely wretched. And this is a manager who said... He wanted to have wingers with crosses into the box. So you've got two strikers who don't thrive on crosses into the box and nobody to deliver crosses into the box. And then what, not what's only... the thinking? What, what, is it, what is his game plan? What is his, what's his philosophy? Well, with White presumably maybe starting at the weekend, you know, you'd think you can do that, that plan. You've got maybe what more on one side. If Gooch is fit enough, well, do you start him? He had the opportunity, he had, he had the opportunity to do that last Saturday. He had the mm-hmm. opportunity when White came on. Fair enough, his default was to try and stay in the game. You know how it is? I hate even saying that sentence, but if that was what his default strategy was, when he made the changes, he had a perfect opportunity to get Watmore on, or to get Maguire on, or to get McGeady on. He neglected to do that until he went to go behind. But surely for purpose of having Charlie White on the pitch, if he's like good at like knockdowns, he's good at holding the ball up, you get people who are playing close to him, who are going to yeah. feed off these knockdowns. So for me, again, it was just weak, reactive management. And then he hoys on Maguire when you're 1-0 down in injury time. But as you say, there's, there's, frankly, I appreciate you are trying to kind of like get a bit more positivity going. But just from what I saw last Saturday, I can't, I can't lie. Well, and, 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 you know, and, and going back to what you've said about Willis and Saturday's game, if we bring it back to that, if ever there was a game where we needed our best centre back, who is clearly the best centre back of the club, but he's also quick, it's Saturday because they've got pace, they've got physicality throughout the side. Like Delfonso's no mug. Yeah, he's got five goals this season. He, as well. he can do a job at this in this kind of uh, game, I think. And you just. <laughs> he's exactly the kind of player you need on the pitch on Saturday. And without him, I, I worry about that that defence, to be honest. I, I don't know. What, it's very hard. To, who would have predicted he would have started with that team on Saturday? I'm more, I'm, well, I, I'm more worried about the defence, or you're more worried about our uh, strike power at the minute, especially now you take McGeady out of the situation. Looks like he's played his last game for the club. Funnily enough, McGeady, um, this kind of contradicts a point I made at the start of the podcast, but in an isolated game, I'm not that worried about McGeady not starting because the Tramia game we won 5 0, he didn't play. I believe the MK Don's game under Jack Rossi didn't play. I couldn't tell you for certain, I'll take your word for it. And it just, from, just from what I can remember. So. I think you're right because there was a lot of narrative around that game about are we a better team without him in the side? Yeah, precisely. Um, and obviously, we had the victories in the Cups at um, Sheffield United and Burnley. So, as I say, there is a kind of an argument to suggest that our better team displays have come without McGeady in the side. 
So in isolation, I'm not too worried about McGeady per se, but like I say, Craig, like Craig said earlier on, I do worry about our lack of kind of cohesive strategy from an attacking point of view. Even from a defensive point of view. So even before the Gillingham fiasco, if you think back to like the Burton game, for instance, <clears> or the Coventry game, and I've said this as well, and I'll say it again, fair enough, the manager is trying to implement something and he wants a specific type of striker for what he wants to play and maybe he hasn't had that. That doesn't excuse the bizarre midfield setups we've had where defensively they don't seem to be in position to help and they don't seem to be in a position to help offensively. There's just this massive crater in the middle of the park and I just I, I just don't really understand what so, they've been told to do. So will the manager stick with the pairings or the triplings we've seen so far <laughs> uh, or do you see someone like... Dylan McGee are coming back into the side. No you know? chance he's coming back, is there? No. Just, he just isn't. There's, you can tell the fact he's not even on the bench. And people like Ruben Samet have been getting on the bench. He's, he must be. He's just looks so what's, like the, he's what's the plan in January then? Do you think uh, Phil Parkinson's got a shopping list which he's going to sh- show Stuart Donald and try and get five, six players in? He's going to try and get some returns on loans, maybe send some back, maybe get some of ours back. Ethan Robson, a lot of people have been speaking about him, you know you would think he would walk into the side at the moment, the form he's been playing on at Grimsby. He would, and Robson, he gives you a little bit of variety as well, and that's the one thing we sorely lack in the midfield, yeah. is variety. Yeah, He's left-footed, he's tall, yep. he can strike a ball cleanly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these are easy wins, surely, if 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 you know hands are tied budget-wise, which we are, League One club. Come on, yeah, of course. course no, I mean, you, recall, you, recall, you recall him? You maybe send back a, a loney <laughs> who has been injured quite a lot. You know, these are... Sensible, logical solutions, right? You've got well, you've got Embleton to come back as well. Speaking of players who've been out on loan previously and then been injured, um, I suppose that the question is: is but you come back to what you said about budget. This idea when you go and spend a ton of money, nobody in League One does that. You don't need to spend a ton of money. We never needed to spend a ton of money. We just needed to recruit wisely. The question for me is: say they've got enough money to bring in four players' wages, six players' wages. Well, numbers don't matter. If, if we off the books as well, there's more money to play with. Potentially, yeah. So there's okay. He's probably the last big earner, apart from what more. Again, though, from the Premier League kind of era, I would say you're even right. Even though he was signed in the first Division One, but he'll be on yeah Premier League-ish money. Yeah, but you need to find the right players mm-hmm. to come in, not just from a perspective of are they good or not. Technically, it's like can they sort of give us the variety that you're talking about, Mickey? Pace, especially, is needed. We really need pace. Yeah, I, I think the problem is, though, when you people talk about January, and it's not an original point, but it's a point that's worth making again, we're not going to sign these players on New Year's Day. Yeah, that's another good point, actually. Because it's one of them things, people say, oh, January, January, but if we have another January like we did under Chris Coleman, where I think we made one signing up until deadline day... Oh yeah, God. And, and and this is the thing. I'm 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 just worried about history repeating itself because I don't doubt Parkinson probably does have contacts like low down, but you look at Sunderland at the minute, and we are not an attractive proposition apart from our name. But this is the other thing, isn't it? I'm, uh, people, uh, you're you're not doing it, but over the course of our time in this division, and this sort of seems to have dissipated slightly. The worse we get, but this kind of idea we've got to remember where we are. When we came down, we were like. We should be picking up the best of the League One and probably some players yeah, from the lower end of the Championship. I'm not saying someone who's starting every week for Wigan was going to come and sign for us, for instance. But, like, players who you could, you know... They, they, well, in fact, we did. We brought in people like Max Power. We brought yeah. Will Grigg in, all right, it hasn't worked out. 
but it's just gradually gotten kind of worse and worse and worse and it's more scattergun and I mean the the box signings the the really telling one in that regard we didn't really spend anything in the summer so I don't see what would have changed I think Dawson was the only signing wasn't he for for actual cash Mm. so why would we suddenly have money to spend in January if we like I'm not saying we don't but you, you usually Greg is the perfect example have to overspend in January so who's and it's harder to sign free signings because all the contracts haven't run out yet. That's why a lot of League One clubs have massive turnover of staff in the summer. Mm. So what exactly are we? What what are we going to do here? Who are we looking at? How are we going to find the quality requisite quality to match somebody like McGeady? Or is there or? is there a change in culture going on behind the scenes? We've recently seen new um, you know p- new people coming on to to the bench. There was, a, was Andrew Taylor, the the uh, expo who's just joined us as a kind of mm. fitness coach, isn't he? Does that is that change is that change things behind the scenes? Maybe bringing in a fitness coach. Does, does that do you get a, anything extra out? You surely you, um, you know you're getting you're going to get more percentage out of the players by bringing someone like that in. But then the type of football we're playing at the minute should not exert any energy. <laughs> wow, it, it, it's right though. I mean, how, how does how does how does hoofing a football up the pitch for ninety so, minutes exert energy? The energy is, I guess, from the midfield, which is I think why he's picking Dobson and O'Nine in there. As the runners, so I think this is me, you know, trying to scratch around here and figure it out. I think the idea is you get it up early, and then you've got those two coming on behind the pick. Which up. is how we played against Tramia. Yeah? yeah, but we've not seen a repeat of that since. Why? Because he's clueless. <laughs> but why, why, why? What's different? I mean, obviously, Gucci. Gucci is a huge factor. Because we're not. But this is the thing, though. We're not. We're not playing. With kind Duncan of like, Watmore had one of his arguably one of his best games for some. You've also got to remember Tramia were rotten. They're really bad. But, they're but, not but, but would you say they're any worse you... than Southend? Were they any worse than Burton? Yes, they're much worse than Burton. Not worse than Southend, and that was when the alarm bell started ringing because we only beat probably the worst than Gillingham. Team. Yeah, I think we'll look at Gillingham. They're doing all right, aren't they? At least Gillingham like organised. You know what I mean? I, I... But <laughs> but the thing, the thing that annoys me even more. So that night we clearly had three people playing off Will Grigg. Yeah. So fair enough, it was direct and it was quick, but it was good to watch because every second ball we were there first. We it was a bit like Allardyce, wasn't it? When we yeah. used to get, we we were quite direct with with the football, but it was entertaining, attacking direct football. It wasn't don't cross the halfway line and just launch it whenever yeah. you're within breathing distance of the ball. This is my issue. I would I completely agree that you in an ideal world you want energy from your midfield, you want this like injection, but. It's not happening because, as I say, we're just we're playing with three kind of. It's very old school. It's three distinct positions, whereas in football now it should be a lot more fluid and formation should be interchangeable. And I think uh, I'm not saying Jack Ross was perfect, but at least we saw examples of that under Jack Ross. Whereas at the minute you've just got like you've got your bank of ten or whatever in de- in defence, <laughs> then you've got your other midfield bank which sits really deep. Then you've got your people up front. There's no kind of like link links or interchanges, no. there's no overlapping, there's no people getting close to the strikers to pick up knockdowns and to kind of give them an opportunity to build attacks in a more kind of sophisticated manner. It's just all kind of like ponderous and single paced and let's yeah. let's 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 take a trip down to hypothetical city, right? Okay. <laughs> Sat- Saturday Saturday evening we've won we beat a good Blackpool side at home. We haven't conceded a goal. Maybe one, two nil, right? Charlie White plays really well. The system, where he's finally got round to getting his man up front starting. We play around him. We score a couple of goals. That's good. Everything's fine. What what happens next for for, for Phil Parkinson? Is this a, would that be a good point to, on which to build on? 
is this, you know, and what I'm saying is, is his position then, you know, do, do, do the do the fans have to say, well, credit where's credit's due? No. Because of, do you think the damage is... You, this is my point. Is the damage done it's, to that much extent already that even a really good performance on Saturday and not conceded goal with a system which he's been waiting to play with, the players he's been waiting to get back to full fitness, that doesn't save him because, in the, your eyes? No, it, it saves him if he then goes on and batters Bolton at yeah. home. Then you, then you can start talking about back-to-back really good performances, back-to-back wins where we've played really strongly. And then if we go to Doncaster and get a result... Then you can start to talk about always oh, turning things around, and, he, then, and then we can all eat our words. Yeah. We can eat our words, and we can be, you yeah. know, okay. Let's return back fine. to hyper- hypothetical city. It's full time. We've been beaten comprehensively two nil by Blackpool at home, who are a good side. Remember, right? What happens next? Well, I, I, I mean, I thought he should have gone by now anyway, but I mean, we would. Have, uh, I don't feel like to say my suggestion on, a, on, <laughs> on air, Arthur. <laughs> Do, does the ownership have um, a question to answer on, you know, the manager's future if we don't win on Saturday? In in your personal views, I I, I just think he shouldn't be the manager. If, I mean, if we lose again, he's he's going to be averaging less than a point a game, and I know like. You do give managers time and all that, and and you given can... what Mickey said earlier as well with his track record of taking twelve games to start, essentially, I just don't see it. The problem with with him is, and I don't know how it's went at these other clubs, but the situation was so specific here that we were looking to go from a team that was fourth, fifth, sixth to top two, and we have gone in completely the opposite direction. Momentum such that he's gone from whatever his preferred way of playing was or the effective way of playing against Tramia to five out-and-out defenders with Grant Ledbetterson in front of it. If you lose again on Saturday, it's kind of like, well, I don't actually know where he goes from there. I just, I don't know how he digs that situation out. I don't know what he can do. A good point that um, I was speaking to Tom down dealing them on Saturday, and you know how he's referenced quite often is um, flatmate when um, Parkinson was born yes. the manager. Oh, Tom from the away guide. Yes. Yeah. We need Sorry. some more away guides, there, more banter. Yeah, definitely. Oh, certainly banter at the minute, don't we? Um... So he, not, he lives with a Bolton fan. He used to, yeah. um, when Parkinson was a manager, and he said that despite the fact that they were winning most weeks in League One, he, he came home and he was like complaining the style of football was meat and potatoes, he called it. Um, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that when another comment that his flatmate made was that that Bolton team was ready-made in Phil Parkinson's image when he went there. It was almost like kind of oven-ready. It was he went in there, he had his ideology, the way he wanted to play, and he just had to play it from day dot. At Sunderland, to... Play the way that he wants to play. We've got to make so many changes. And them changes don't happen overnight. So I'd arguably say that even if he kind of quote-unquote turns it around, you've, you're almost writing off this season. It, it almost feels that we have to an extent. I mean, you could, playoffs are certainly... Look, this is not a great division. I think top two, you, you're going to be struggling unless Wickham... I don't think Ipswich will fall away because I think the manager's too good and they've probably got enough like good League One and Championship experience to go up. Wickham probably got quite a small squad and stuff but then you look at what Luton did so it's possible they'll go up in second or one of these other teams like Blackpool or someone's going to you know really make a push but playoffs are certainly achievable you don't even need that many points relatively speaking the problem is the mentality around the club that Mickey's reiterated the negativity which starts with the manager who talks like he's in a relegation battle we aren't thinking like a football club that wants to get promoted anymore we've gone from a summer of do you not think this squad's good enough to go up to, well, we just wanted to stay in a game away at Gillingham? I mean, 
come on, no disrespect to Gillingham. We went and absolutely destroyed them last season. It was it, it, down there. And it was it was really exciting and fun to watch. And it was like, God, can we stay in League One forever if we're going to play football like this? And don't forget, last season they had Tom Eves up front for them. Yeah, they've gone like backwards this. from there, you know. I'm not saying he's the greatest keeper in the world, but Thomas Hawley is at Ipswich now, who when they were at the top of the league. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So they've, maybe he's even regressed a little bit from last season or certainly at the same level. Um, but what's concerned me is we've played Gillingham twice now away from home and he's gone in with the exact same approach. And he made similar mm. comments after the cup game about giving it a real good go. And then after the game at the weekend, he's talked about like staying in the game. And if we'd seen out that set piece, we would have took a point all day. I mean, what, what was your thought when you heard that comment? Well, it just sounds like you'd set up for a point, which, again, I think Gareth mentioned this on Monday. We got rid of Jack Ross because we were drawing too many games. Well, and now we've got a manager whose default setting is not even hiding his default setting is to go for a point. I mean, so even if he turns it around, Frankie, back to what you were saying, is turning it around for him going away looking for a point mm. at a mediocre Gillingham? We're not talking about going away to Blackpool here, Ipswich. He's got a break. There's another break, isn't there? Because of the the Bury game was meant to be happening yep. next week. So he's got it? more so time got on the training pitch. A lot, lot of time on the training pitch. Does that, <laughs> does that help him? Well, what, frankly, what have we just seen? We've just seen ten days on the training ground. We've seen the end result. It got it got worse somehow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, look, I, actually, I hate how kind of like flipping I'm coming across on the podcast because my default setting as a supporter is to be quite naturally upbeat and positive. But at the minute, it's just the whole like kind of like life and energy for me as a Sunderland fan has just been sucked out of me in the last few weeks. And as I say, like Gillingham for me was kind of like it's the first away game I've been to in a couple of months or so, and it's just absolutely just kind of like I was just staggered by what I saw. Can we also as well just make a thing, a thing about? Um, I remember when we come down from the Premier League and, and we were going to clear all this toxic element out and the uh, what was it the rotten core and all that, and then when we come down out the Championship, we had because you know that was what we were told. And yet we've still ended up with a player who has been, for whatever the issue may be, told he should go. And he happens to be one of the more talented players. So that doesn't speak to Fans the United the dressing room. Last yeah. And does that speak to United dressing room to you? Does that sound like a place where there isn't some sort of toxicity, potentially? Or So are we effectively, as Gareth has also reiterated, not to keep bigging up Gareth's points of view, which one is going don't. to get prioritised, <laughs> but... He's right. We've kind of just gone through the rigmarole of a smaller scale version of what we were doing in the Premier League, signing the wrong players, the wrong types of players in terms of the way they play football, in terms of their physicality, their pace, all those things, their character in terms of what Stephen was saying about can you handle the crowd, but also it would seem that we've also got characters in there who are disruptive, potentially. I mean, this time last year, I think the Netflix documentary came out around this time last year. And I think when we all watched it, it was almost meant to be like a cautionary tale of how like yeah. bad things can get. And we kind of watched that from a position at the time where we were kind of around the automatic promotion places. And we were almost laughing, thinking, dear me, this is how bad our club was 12 months ago. Thank goodness oh, yeah. that we've kind of turned everything around. And now, I watched an episode of it the other day to try and kind of make this comparison. And you've seen history repeating itself, but just at a lower level with worse players. And that's the one thing. We have got players in this team that are, I again think, good enough to get promoted maybe not all of them but there's certainly some quality there so it isn't quite it's worse because of the division we're in and we're currently on course to have our worst ever finish if if we were to continue at the rate we are now but there is enough there weirdly after all this negative talk 
to, to sort of dig ourselves out of this. Win on Saturday, win the game in hand, you know? Well, that, but you they get to back amongst, you know, the playoff places, at least. But I'd say that, I mean, obviously we'd be delighted to get a win because at the minute you have to, we'll have to yeah. win a game. We'll have to win a game. We have to, not just for Phil Parkinson and his job, because obviously we'd ran that poll and it was unanimously out and I know it's a, a small sample size on on Twitter and it's in the heat of the moment and all those things. But I've never seen a poll, we've never run a poll where it's been that unanimous. No. What was it again? It was like 3,000 votes or Yeah, and it was like... Even Davey Moyes was kind of like 60, 40, It took 60, a long time. Yeah. He's coming back. Don't worry about that. <laughs> do you know what? Moyes would do a better job than in this division because he's a better manager than this division. That that shows you how far we've sunk yep. that he now looks like a good manager compared to, to what we've had since. Mm-hmm. Apart from Ross, who in hindsight was clearly managing a number of situations in the dressing room and obviously losing a lot of players that were talented in the summer and maybe not getting recruits that were good enough to or in the right I, I don't know what he was looking for particularly but he was obviously managing a lot throughout his tenure and when you look at it I think we should, we should have gone up last season we had to go up last season and in not doing so he had to really start this season with win after win after win and when that didn't happen it, he was always going to go but again it's not like Phil Parkinson was the only man who you could replace him with <laughs> so Just a man. but well <laughs> <laughs> it does just look like it just comes across like someone who's just landed this kind of job that he's like, oh, this shouldn't. Like, he almost looks like he's uncomfortable with it in some way. In all seriousness, though, personality is massively important, particularly at this level where tactic where tactics aren't necessarily the be all and end all. You need someone to kind of like reinvigorate you. Yeah, and and I, and I think we talked about this at the live pod on Friday, and like Stephen Elliott was saying, you do you need someone to come in and like give the whole place a lift. So the only person who I can continue. I, kind of keep thinking of and I was sort of joking when I'd first mentioned his name and I don't think he would come to Sunderland but he's an ex-player who is in a coaching role would be somebody like John Terry right you're going to be looking lower than him because he's coaching in the Premier League and probably got his eye on a, on a, on a bigger job than, than us right now but when I was when we were talking about a managerial change those type of characters Frank Lampard Steven Gerrard uh, you know when we got keen in the championship that was the type of person personally I thought we could have looked at someone with coaching badges with the personality obviously Phillips is the one that naturally gets brought up but there's a massive risk with Phillips because when you bring a club legend into a situation that we're in now if it doesn't have an upswing you don't want him caught up in this no. you don't want him being remembered by a group of fans who may not have even seen him play she relegated the mags exactly well exactly and he's lucky because he's got Ashley he just blames him. Hmm. Well, it is a, a trying time to be a, 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 a Sunderland supporter. To tell you what, Frankie, I really admire your persistence throughout this podcast tonight. <laughs> well, we'll still be there on Saturday, won't we? We will Sup- be. Supporting, supporting, of course, and we'll be behind the, the team, as, uh, as absolutely. ever. Um, the guys, uh, Stephen and Gareth, will be in the fan zone, which is in the beacon of light at, at the minute. Uh, that starts from 12.30. I think we're going to have contributions as well from Roker Report and Love Supreme, plus, I think, Club Historian. Well, Mason's going to get along. Oh, Marco Gabbiadini is going to be speaking uh, before right. the game as well. I think it's the, the Foundation of Light's official fixture as well, so there's going to be lots of activity involving the Foundation of Light on Saturday. Uh, so get along to that a little bit earlier before kickoff. Uh, try and enjoy your afternoon. Remember, this is meant to be a fun thing to go and do with your friends and family. Uh, okay, the guys will be back uh, probably after the game for a reaction pod, and then we'll be back to our normal Monday night proceedings with Stephen and Gareth. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 